KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. As the weather gets warmer and summer draws near, people are ready to break out of coronavirus restrictions and travel. But even after everything starts up again, the big question out there is, will people feel safe enough to want to go places? How long will it take before you'll want to stay in a hotel room or hop on a plane with 150 other people or take a cruise? I reached out to Robert Mann. Sure. Uh, Robert W. Mann Jr., President, R.W. Mann & Company, Incorporated. It's an airline industry analysis and consulting firm. I asked him what he thinks about everything from traveling to concert venues. The airline industry has really been smacked around by this pandemic. How bad is it right now? Who is uh, even still flying? I mean, the fact is that Traffic and revenue are down by approximately 95% from the same period a year ago. And uh, none of the the folks who are presently operating with the uh, federal uh, CARES grants uh, can afford to do so for much longer than those grants last. In fact, they, they really can't afford to do so at present since those grants only cover probably a quarter of their costs of running these flights. You know, a lot of people kind of remember what traveling was like before 9-11. You know, getting on an airplane then compared to now is night and day. Um, do you think that this and what we're going through right now is going to, you know, cause another major pivot for air travel? Are we going to look back at this and, you know, in like 20 years and think of all the changes that have happened since? Well, I mean, if I could just draw the contrast to 9-11, I happened to be flying that morning. I had been flown from LaGuardia to National just about the time the whole thing happened. But within several days thereafter, uh, it was really, you know, once the the air traffic system opened up again, it was literally everyone's, you know, patriotic duty and wish to go out and fly again. and, And many people did immediately. Uh, the, the issue here is quite different, and that is that because of a variety of uh, you know, civil actions uh, by local, state, and the federal government, uh, you literally can't fly, most people. Uh, and those who are essential workers and are permitted to fly uh, are far and few between but doing vital work. And so that's the reason we preserve the number of flights that there are today. But it's, but it's completely different than 9-11 where, where traffic recovered slowly – uh, but it uh, it recovered relatively robustly within the first uh, 90 days or so. And, and what we're seeing here, of course, is just, just a flat line. You know, J- January and February were above plan for most airlines. If you, if you talk to most airline CFOs, you would find that they thought the first quarter was going to be a record uh, in, a, in a good way because January and February were so strong. And uh, March literally went from above plan to zero in 30 days. And that's that's how quick it was. And, and there's really no airline that could withstand that. Uh, so it's not a question. I mean, you, you can argue about whether airlines should have done this, should have done that. But the fact is that in, in my experience with, you know, 40 years in this industry, uh, there is absolutely no airline 
that could have withstood this. Uh, and so they're all, you know, operating on borrowed money and borrowed time at this point. Uh, and, and I guess we'll see what happens come October 1st. But to, to the point of your question, what's going to change? What will we look back on? You know, it, it's it's really hard to say right now because uh, there there are things that, that airlines can do. And, um, and, and frankly, some of those things are things that airlines should have always been doing. For example, keeping planes cleaner than they <laughs> historically have been. And of course, that represents cost so that uh, you know, you have to take an aircraft out of service or provide more ground time between flights to, to, to clean them properly. And as people look for more productivity out of assets and, uh, you know, both capital assets and people, they uh, airlines tend to minimize that ground time and postpone uh, for weeks, sometimes months, uh, deep cleaning of aircraft. So that's how, that's how we got to the point of, air, of aircraft being as clean or dirty as they were. Uh, my guess is that uh, after this is all over, we will find generally cleaner airplanes, um, generally airplanes that are easier to clean, because that's part of the problem, of course. And um, we will see far less tolerance of uh, you know aircraft that are in, 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 in visible, uncleaned conditions. So anyway, that's that's probably that issue. From the air, from the airport's perspective, uh, much as we saw a new process introduced in the form of uh, TSA security, which took more time and it was more intrusive, and uh, on the other hand, did a much better job of actual security, even if a lot of it was security theater. Uh, we will now probably see some sort of governmental either uh, passport or spot check of traveler health. Uh, as they enter an airport, uh, and certainly before they get on an airplane, exactly where this will be done, by whom, uh, yet to be determined. But it, you know, this is really not an you know, air, airlines are not in, in the business of being medical condition uh, evaluators or supervisors, so they're really not the people to do that. Airports are not in that position either. So some some sort of agency. And again, state and local governments are probably not ideal to do that. So it's probably a federal agency issue. Whether TSA is really suitable for that purpose, I don't know. Uh, there is a U.S. Public Health Service. I don't know that they have the resources at present to do what might be required, except on a spot check basis. So we'll have to see how that evolves. But I think the, the, this is a long way around of saying, look, this is uh, it's not just an airline issue that has to get looked at. Airlines will do the best they can, but it has to be essentially all all aspects of the end-to-end travel experience, you know, door-to-door, if you will, or end-to-end, where customers have to feel that they can trust the processes, they have to be confident that in traveling, they are traveling in a uh, an exposure-free environment, you know, much as it was viewed to be the case before COVID, you know, popped up on the radar. And so essentially every element of the travel experience from access to the airport, uh, the airport itself, you know, any, any services or, or concessionaires at an airport, uh, certainly the, the airline experience. Uh, and then at destination, all the aspects that a customer uh, might be traveling for. So it's destination services, it's hospitality, it's the, it's the meeting and convention ven- venue, uh, it's the restaurants. It's the theme park. And ultimately, um, when, when governments figure out how to do this between themselves, either bilaterally or multilaterally, 
and they, and they reopen their borders so that you know foreign citizens can can visit or we can travel to their countries without threat of quarantine on either end that's all this stuff has to work for for people to feel uh, confident to travel and and that's not just you know personal and leisure travelers it's it's most importantly at least from the airline standpoint corporate business travelers because that's that's where the money is that's where the frequency is that's where the higher fares are and from from an airline perspective that's those are the customers you really desperately need to have you know traveling again and, and these people today are, are essentially uh, banned from traveling by duty of care concerns on the part of corporate travel management and corporate C-suites and general counsels and HR departments. And so until they feel comfortable, they're not going to relax that duty of care travel ban and uh, none of those folks are going to be traveling. And that's true domestically and it and it, it will also need to be true internationally where, where again – the even bigger money is for corporate business travelers. Right, right. There's definitely a difference between getting the all clear to resume traveling and, you know, actually feeling confident enough to do so. What what do you think is going to resume first? You mentioned a lot of different travel sectors. Do you think any of them inspire more confidence than another yeah, well, I guess in, in my view, it's uh, it, it's personal before corporate, and it's domestic before international. You know, there's when when the Treasury Department sprinkles seven trillion dollars out of helicopters uh, on the economy, some of that money is going to find a way to get spent. And after people have been you know cooped up either by personal choice or by uh, civil order. Uh, a lot of them are going to be raring to go somewhere, and they will use some of that $7 trillion to venture out into the system, the early adopters, the adventure travelers, mostly personal and, and leisure-oriented travelers, will be out there sampling the experience. They'll be the canaries in the coal mine, and when those canaries come back and report that everything was good and they were unaffected and there were things to do at destination and the destination was welcoming and safe uh, from their perspective. That kind of word of mouth is is infectious in a good way and uh, will result in others following. And then ultimately, you know, there'll be enough of these healthy canaries reporting back uh, word of mouth that the corporate C-suite and the general counsel and the HR department will say to their corporate business traveling colleagues, uh, get out there, get some more deals, support some more customers. And at that point, the duty of care restriction goes away uh, and we're off to the races. You know, green flag drops and we are off to the races. So that's what we need to have happen. And it'll, it'll first happen domestically. And then, again, once, once governments figure out how to get this done properly between themselves, it'll happen internationally. But it's going to be, you know, it'll take time. It, this is not going to happen overnight. You know, the green flag will drop Somebody will drop it, but not all not all will respond to the flag, especially those who are bound by you know existing corporate travel bans and you know this is this is a this is a big deal it's uh it's a multi industry kind of pan travel pan economic approach to a problem that I don't believe you know anybody's ever done before i mean frankly we've had no reason to do it you know there there are lobbying groups like a four a for airlines and the travel industry association for travel in general, but none of those groups have really even had to, let alone thought about how to 
put together an effort like this uh, of a collective nature. Yeah, there's no really telling when, um, you know, stuff is going to resume. But this week, uh, there was a story from Carnival Cruise Line saying that the company is going to resume sailing August 1st. Does that seem realistic to you? Or what do you think the future of packing hundreds of people onto a boat is going to look like? Well, look, I mean, if they're all healthy and if the facility can be kept clean, there shouldn't be an issue. The problems that we've had in the past have been because because no one's checked to see whether people are healthy. Uh, That includes crew members, by the way. And the facility, you know, wasn't kept as clean as it could have been. I mean, before COVID, we had lots of cruise ship, um, you know, incidents reported, norovirus, a variety of other you know, situations, uh, afflictions that crop up with large number of people, uh, you know, sharing facilities. So it's it's not as if, you know, this is a new factor in that industry. It just happens to be a new and particularly virulent virus that is involved this time. So again, I, I don't, I think they're going to be smoking deals for, for all kinds of travel experiences, whether it's air travel or cruises or, or other sorts of, um, uh, travel options because look the, the system needs to get the, you know the pipeline is empty uh, these these firms that that are offering these experiences are going to need to do a lot to get the pipeline full and then get their revenue management operations into a position where supply is you know not so far out of, out of balance with demand that uh, that you can actually run a revenue management system I mean the problem we have today with no demand is that any of those systems are so far out of their element that they, they simply don't work. Um, so you're going to have to you just have to stimulate a lot of demand for a lot of different kinds of services to get this whole travel space up and running again. And even with some deals, I've been reading a lot of articles that you know the old-fashioned road trip and camping might be making a comeback. What are your thoughts there? Well, just an anecdote. I uh, we, we had to go down to where we're here up on Long Island in New York. We had to go down to Wilmington, Delaware, uh, a week or so ago to to visit a family member. And um, yeah, this is a trip that is normally torture. Uh, Long Island Expressway, New Jersey Turnpike. Uh, you know, traffic bumper to bumper the whole way. And in this particular case, I think we could have put in a pretty good, uh, you know, record qualifying time at Indianapolis uh, on that trip. It was, did not have to lift, lift off the throttle between here and there. Uh, and it wasn't going fast, but there, were, but there were people who were out there doing clearly 100 plus. There just was no traffic. So, I mean, obviously when, when things return to normal, there will be traffic. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if people are first most interested in cocooning in their own vehicle going to destination, finding something to do, especially short distances, as opposed to, um, you know, getting on a, on a common carrier uh, and making that same trip. Because of all the, you know, because of all the intermediate processes you have to go through, especially on a short, short trip, that just takes a lot of time that is uh, unproductive. This is, this is why short-haul travel, you know, really collapsed after uh, the new security procedures after September 11th, is that, you know, when you, when you add an extra hour or so to a short-haul trip, you may as well just drive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the reasons that those turnpikes are so uh, normally congested. Right. That makes sense. You know, if there's going to be extra lines to go through at the airport, then, you know, maybe road trips, camping is really going to amp up. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And, and again, it's because you can control the environment uh, in your own personal vehicle. You can roll up the windows if you don't feel comfortable keeping them down. And, and you've got your own relatively sealed environment there. So you're in, the, you're in the bubble. You can go travel in the bubble and you can decide to get out at destination. Right. And, and you, you mentioned the entire end-to-end travel experience has to inspire trust and confidence. Where do hotels fit into that? What do you think hotels need to do to make people feel safe to stay there again? Well, it's a, you know, it's, it's, a, more, it's a more intense version of the, of the airline problem uh, in the sense that there, there are just a lot more surfaces that, that uh, hotel customers tend to touch and, and sleep on uh, when, they're, when they're in a hotel environment. Uh, you're, you're at the front desk. Uh, you're in the elevator. You're in your room. Uh, which obviously is, is a room that you know, other people have used before you and, and will use after you. You're in, down in the lobby, you're in the, the hotel bar, maybe you're in the hotel restaurant. So again, these are, these are all situations where you're going to interact with people. You're going to interact with them, especially, for example, in an in a elevator cab uh, at probably less than the, the prevailing social distance, uh, if that's still an issue. And, and again, there are just a lot of surfaces to clean. When you think about all the, the things that you touch, even, even you know, card keys and, uh, you know, key locks and door handles, and, you know, it's, it essentially goes on and on and on. It, it's a much more difficult solution than even an airline uh, with, where you have a limited number of surfaces that you would touch. I mean, yeah, you'd probably touch the, the, the two armrests that you share and you'd probably touch the trade table if, if indeed there was any reason to do that. But other than that, you're pretty much to yourself. You're, you're just fairly close to someone else. Coronavirus-related concerns are, you know, making people obviously double-think their vacation plans and travel plans. But on the flip side, you know, even a night out and a concert is being disturbed. Concerts are getting canceled even, you know, out into July and August right now. Um, what do you think the future of concerts and venues are going to look like? Well, I guess if you know if it's if it's the outdoor al fresco concert, I, I, I guess um, festival seating is going to have to be a little bit more uh, uh, socially distant. If it's an internal venue, I guess there's an issue of how you manage the not only the lobby processes and the and the entry processes, but the seating processes. Are they going to have the same sort of occupancy level issues that a restaurant has or that, uh, that an airline may have? And uh, how, do you, how do you manage those against the economics of running those sorts of events in those sorts of venues? I mean, they are, they are really designed for maximum you know, seating density as opposed to socially distant seating density. And it's not clear that the economics of a lot of these venues or events uh, really work anymore. I guess, Bob, just kind of a last question. I mean, how and when do you think traveling is going to get back to the, you know, quote unquote normal for both business and leisure travelers? I mean, I think anyone who's expecting it to be a a sharp V-shaped recovery is probably optimistic. What, What I've been telling my clients is that it's hard to know what the end of 2020 looks like, except a lot lower than 2019. But that if we have some reasonably good successes on testing and, and uh, tracing uh, and the, the low but, but, but hopeful probability of uh, some sort of 
treatment or ultimately a, a vaccine, then I think we would probably see from a capacity or, uh, or, or a revenue perspective, uh, the airline industry in the U.S. still be at least, uh, you know, 35 percent below 2019 levels really by the end of 2021 and probably 25 percent below by 2022. And again, I, I don't even want to put a number on the end of 2020 because it's it's frankly too close in to, you know, against the, the probability of those other good things happening. But, but presuming that they do happen, let's say, in early 2021, then I think, again, those those sorts of, you know, 35 to 40 down in 2021 and, and let's call it 25 to, to 30 down in 2022 are probably as good a numbers as any other out there. Mm. So definitely you're looking at two years out kind of when you're thinking about normalcy again. Well, that that would be. Um, I mean, that's that's hardly normal. I mean, it, you know, a, a, a twenty or a twenty percent drop in anything is a is a real serious number. Um, the the issue, I guess, for the airline industry is is what do they do to their cost structures in the meantime uh, mm-hmm. to really get get beyond October first because that's the. I mean, that's that's the drop dead date for the. For the, for the initial treasury grants and loans, or at least the, the grants process, and that's the drop dead date for the employment uh, aspects, re- employment retention aspects of that program. So, so really, I think what the industry is facing, what the airline industry is facing, is um, making a decision in, in the late July, early August timeframe as to what business plan they're going to run come October first, because a lot of them have. Um, have regulatory requirements, uh, you know, for example, to issue warn notices if they're going to be furloughing large groups of people. Uh, and that does depend on there, – there's some federal and state aspects to that, but it, it's typically at least 60 days and in some cases longer. So they've really got to be thinking about what, what do we do come October if business doesn't look good across the summer? Is, is it looking any better for the fall or are we really thinking of having to take much more drastic steps? I guess the issue is if if it were if it were my sandbox, uh, I would be saying that this is uh, you know this end to end effort is really something that that the overall travel industry uh, collectively ought to be looking at right now because that's the only thing that's going to solve the problem for the intermediate term, let alone the long term. Thank you so much, Bob. Okay, you're welcome. That's it for this episode of KYW in depth coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area or how it's affecting you, subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.